You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Patrick Avenal here, news editor with Campus Review and with Aged Care Insight and Nursing Review. And I'm chatting with Professor Paul Glajou from Bond University. Paul, tell me a bit about yourself and the team that you've put together to uh, spend the $9.5 million grant. Okay, so Patrick, I'm a general practice researcher um, who's been working in what's called evidence-based medicine, which is about using the best research to um, guide clinical practice. And I've been working in that area for about 20 years or so. Um, And recently, um, there's been a concern about um, what's called over-diagnosis leading to over-treatment. And so we've put together a team um, of uh, chief investigators, that's myself, uh, Rochelle Bookbinder from Melbourne, she's a rheumatologist who works in this area, Chris Ma, who's a physiotherapist from um, Sydney University, um, who's also interested in this area, and Kirsten McCaffrey, who's a health psychologist also at Sydney University. Um, and the four of us have a common interest in dealing um, with this problem of over-testing and over-diagnosis. Are you able to give uh, the listeners an idea about what over-testing and over-diagnosis is? Yeah, sure. So in some ways, Patrick, um, you can think of it as that our tests have just gotten better and better, and in some ways, the tests are too good. So we're actually detecting things that probably wouldn't harm anybody in their lifetime. Um, So just to give you a specific example of that, I'm 61 years old and, you know, pretty healthy and well. But if you did um, uh, an ultrasound of my shoulder, there's a 13% chance that you'd find what's called a rotator cuff tear in my shoulder. Or if you did um, uh, magnetic resonance imaging of my spine, an MRI, you'd get a 78% chance that you'd find a disc bulge and a 28% chance of a disc protrusion, even though I feel perfectly well, asymptomatic. And the problem is that we're doing more and more imaging and tests etc on people and detecting things that look like there's a disease problem there but actually probably isn't even causing the person's problem or that we find them incidentally as well so to give you one specific example of what's called an incidentaloma that is something that's accidentally discovered there's been an increase in the apparent amount of thyroid cancer over the last two decades about threefold in australia Um, And a lot of that appears to be due to when some other imaging is being done of the neck to look at the the arteries in the neck, for example, people also look at the thyroid and discover a little lump there and then they end up biopsying it and finding some abnormal cells there which can look like cancer but actually wouldn't have disturbed somebody in their lifetime. I mean, I I can imagine someone listening to this saying, uh, well, isn't it better to be safe than sorry? Like, is this this really a problem? Can you sort of outline exactly what what the problem is with over, like, is it just people then spend too much money trying to fix it? No, no, it's not just money. People can come to to harm out of this. So one is that they can just be labelled and worried about it. But I'll give you an example from um, Gil Welsh's book. Gil Welsh is a chap at Dartmouth who's been leading in this area for for a number of years. And he tells the interesting story of a chap who was seeing his GP um, for a routine health exam and the GP thought oh I think I can feel something everything seems normal you seem fit but I'm just going to check your tummy and he thought he felt 
um, what's called an aneurysm there. So he sent him off for an ultrasound, and there was no aneurysm there. But there was something funny with the pancreas. So he sent him off for a CAT scan of the pancreas, and that was actually normal. But they spotted something on the liver. And they said, oh, well, we have to biopsy that because it looks like it might be a tumour. So they biopsied it. And it turned out to be um, a congenital um, hemangioma, which is a vascular abnormality of the liver. And it was harmless, except if you put a needle in it. And he bled severely and he could have died. Right? He actually spent several weeks in, in hospital as a result of this, all from a series of tests that were actually to do with nothing. Okay, now that's an extreme example of the story, but this is that sort of thing is happening all the time with those thyroid incidentalomas that I was talking about. Um, people are now having thyroid surgery and getting the complications of it. Um, in particular, um, you know, you can get local infections, etc. Afterwards, but you get the um, the uh, um, the nerve problem with your voice that you can lose your voice from. So that's probably the most serious one. Um, and if we keep doing more of these, it can get worse. So to give you the extreme case around the world, in South Korea, there has been a, um, almost a 20-fold increase in the number of thyroid cancers because they're doing so much use of ultrasound to have a look at people's thyroids. So we actually, the three-fold increase in Australia is small compared with that. But if we kept going the way of South Korea, we could end up there as well. And that's, that's not an isolated problem. This is occurring in the whole body with all sorts of things and with all sorts of tests that we do. So the tests are good, but we have to use, learn to use them more wisely in order to avoid all of these downsides. It's not just a cost problem, though. It's this follow-on problem of the sequence of testing and complications and labelling that occurs with people that we're concerned about. The Yourself and the team that's been put together, you've been awarded the very precise amount of $9,578,895 to, to uh, research this. And you're looking particularly at the areas of musculoskeletal diseases, cardiovascular disease and cancer. Are you able, from a sort of research perspective, are you able to give an idea of sort of how this money is spent and allocated? Well, so program grants are unique amongst the um, NHMRC grants in that they're actually allocated um, by the track record of the person. So they have them in a couple of what are called different quanta. So you don't have to put out a budget to say, here's exactly what we're going to do and we've costed it out. It's actually saying your track record is so good that we trust that you're going to develop good projects. Now, we put a list of a long list of good projects in, but we hadn't actually costed out those projects in order to get that award. It's awarded on the basis of track record. So the, the, that precise number that you see is actually just the NHMRC's estimates of our track record, basically. Uh, and what does NHMRC stand for? Oh, sorry, the National Health and Medical Research Council. Okay, sure. And... Uh so th thinking about uh, the project and according to the release, it's a, it's a five-year period starting January 2017. That's right. The, over those five years, what would success look like? Um, well, so, so there's two things that we need to do. One is that we need a better understanding of this problem. This has been an under-recognised and under-researched problem. And the second is we then need ways of intervening with that problem to reduce 
the dangers of the tests while keeping the advantages of the tests. Okay, so there's this fine balance that we need to work out. So the understanding, for example, is we don't know the exact pathways by which those um, excessive thyroid um, uh, nodules, I'll call them, um, are being detected. So we actually need to go and check what the medical records are, talk to people who've had the cases, etc., to find out what was the pathway? How did this happen? What were you being investigated for? To have a better understanding of that. We think a lot of it's um, from anecdote, a lot of it's due to these, um, the ultrasounds being done on the, the neck arteries and then the ultrasonographers having a look. But we don't know all the pathways and how common which are. So there's that sort of understanding that we need. Then we want to do a whole lot of intervention studies, some of which we already know. So, for example, one of the things that we want to try for um, imaging of, of um, the back for back pain um, is to use what's called delayed imaging. Now, we know that delayed prescribing is very effective for the um, doubtful cases of antibiotic usage, but nobody's tried it for imaging. We know that imaging of the back early on in acute back pain, actually, unless there's what's called a red flag sign, something that tells you that there might be something seriously wrong like a tumour or an infection or something, if you've got none of those red flags, then actually we've got very, very good data to say that imaging does not help. Okay, it can only lead to harms, in fact, early imaging. Um, but despite that, lots of people get x-rays and MRIs and CAT scans done early on in the back pain. Partly that's expectations of patients who feel like they want to know what's going on and that expectation comes through to the doctors who order it as well. So by using delayed imaging where we say, well, we'll give you, most people will be getting better in a couple of weeks, but if you're not, then you can go and get this imaging. We expect that that will actually roughly halve the rates of imaging and therefore stop a lot of the um, incidental omas being detected. Um, further down the track, we want to use um, shared decision-making for patients with, as, as the results, when they actually get some of these results back, there's a dilemma about whether you should treat for some of these cases. And patients actually have, and, and doctors actually have quite false expect, um, expectations about what the benefits of some treatments are. So if we inform particularly the patients about the benefits and harms of some of the treatments, we think we can better guide the patients who will benefit to get treatment and those who won't um, benefit so much not to get the treatments. Paul, is there anything else you'd like to add about the, the grant and the work that you and your team are doing? Um, well, the only other thing I'd like to say is that, that um, we, we think this is addressing probably the most important problem in the future of medicine because our technology keeps improving all the time but there's always a downside to that technology and we've got to work out how to optimise the benefits and harms for this technology. Otherwise, we think this is a genuine threat to the sustainability of medicine. Most of the increase that's occurring in the costs of medicine and the harms of medicine are due to us not finding that correct balance at the moment. So this is vital work to be done now. So we're really looking forward to getting on with it. Professor Paul Glajou from Bond University, thanks very much. Okay, good, Patrick. Bye for now.